Welcome to The Returning Citizen. Quick reminder that anytime we mention a program or event, it's linked under this episode on thereturningcitizen.org. We also want to remind everyone that the U.S. has the highest rate of incarceration of any country on earth. Most of these folks return home as our neighbors. 10,000 ex-prisoners are released from state and federal prison every week. There's thousands in Detroit every year alone. Needless to say, everybody wins when we help these returning citizens be successful. I'm Jacob Smith, a Detroit-based entrepreneur and social justice advocate. I'm Imani Mixon, a Detroit-based and embrace writer. I'm D. Eric Burgess. I served 18 years in Michigan <laughs> prison for a nonviolent drug crime. And my passion is to use this platform to assist other returning citizens. I like the Eric Burgess. That suits you well. <laughs> uh, so today we are going to be talking about entrepreneurship. So just to paint some context here, when men and women come out of prison, they face a lot of challenges. Uh, basic things like securing housing, getting an ID, qualifying for public assistance, create hurdles for folks that are already readjusting to life in society. Few of these obstacles are more daunting than finding a job. Um, I know Eric and I talk about this quite a bit. It's a challenge, but uh, I think with uh, fortitude, uh, being persistent, uh, and family is a very integral part in a returning citizen to become a productive member of society. But for those that continue to face challenges with employment or uh, maybe the type of job that you can find isn't the right fit, entrepreneurship is another path. So what we're talking about today is entrepreneurship as a path for folks coming out of prison, looking to take matters into their own hands and create their own opportunities. So today we've got two amazing guests. Mani, you want to introduce our guest for us? Sure. We've got Carlos Harris, who is the founder of Coded Icons, which is a digital marketing agency in Detroit that serves and educates entrepreneurs in small to mid-sized businesses. Carlos also mentors, trains, and employs ex-offenders looking to enter technology-related fields. He's written and published a couple of books, and he spent 11 years total in prison. We also have Stephen Franklin, a founder of Motor City Media Group, a digital design media agency in Detroit that serves and educates entrepreneurs, small to mid-sized businesses, and nonprofits. Also a teacher and a mentor to returning citizens who want to reach their full potential despite their circumstances. Um, He spent four years in prison as a GED and employment readiness tutor while helping initiate successful programs like self-help study groups to help fellow inmates. And he's a former digital sculptor for GM and Ford. So I don't want to waste any time here. I want to dive right in. And I just want to ask for everyone here that has uh, served time in prison, what's it like finding a job once you're out and have a criminal record? It's probably the most difficult thing one can imagine. That's Carlos. I think back to some of the first times that I um, got out in 2003. Uh, um, So I served approximately what I like to say three different times. Um, my first time when I got out, um, I was tasked with going through the uh, Michigan Returning um, uh, uh, Initiative, the uh, re-entry. reentry initiative, and that was some of the early days, right? And so I, I went through the program, and probably unlike some of those that were coming home, I already had some college, right? And so, uh, and I had a great work history. So to find a job was even more difficult for me because of the uh, the criminal convictions that I had. Um, originally, I went to prison for breaking and entering and uh, resisting obstruction. Um, the breaking and entering has always been deemed a uh, crime of dishonesty. So it became, you know, we're talking like 14 years ago when it was unheard of to actually 
talk about um, uh, uh, banding the box and, you know, giving uh, guys who have been to prison an actual shot at employment. So I found that, you know, it it became um, where I had to kind of like reinvent myself, if you will. And the only opportunities I found was through self-education and entrepreneurial talents. Um, <clears throat> I found it to be more difficult. Um, I was charged with the CSC. Regardless of what grade it was, it's all grouped together. That's Stephen Franklin. He's talking about a CSC, or criminal sexual conduct, which can relate to a wide range of illegal sexual behavior. And what I found was no matter how, many edu- how much education, degrees, uh, work experience, work history, the minute they heard the three letters, they didn't care what it was. And so uh, I first got out. I'm like, well, let me try the conventional method of employment. I uh, worked at a large distribution center, stayed there for about, about five weeks. They did a final background check. was like, no, our policy states that anybody with any type of CSC conviction can't work here, mm-hmm. even though it didn't affect what my day-to-day responsibilities were. That's what it was. Um, and at the time, my parole agent just felt bad for me. She's like, I, I don't know what you can do because we're tasked to find employment. I was living in a homeless shelter. And that was just, I mean, I'm, I literally went from living in a nice house, nice neighborhood to having to live into a homeless shelter and not have a choice where I could live. I barely had a choice where I could work. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very upsetting and stressful. And what people don't realize is there's more stress placed on you outside of prison once you return home than while you're there. Um, so she made a couple of provisions for me, and I was able to at least be able to create my own. I had already started my business prior to being incarcerated. Um, I had spent time working in the corporate system, and I realized I didn't really like the way it was run, no matter what organization, no matter what company it was for. It didn't suit me. So I went back to what I was comfortable with. And once I was able to do that, I connected with uh, some of my former clients who knew me as an individual and didn't judge me based on the crime I committed versus just the character of who I was. And I just started to just generate work. And in generating that work, it didn't come up as what happened. What? Okay, it was a snapshot in time. It doesn't define who you are as an individual. And I just kept with that motivation. I just kept pushing forward and pushing forward. And I really haven't looked back. But I remember those times being in that shelter. I remember those times being in prison and, and being limited to what I could do, what I could say, and where I could go. And I would love to dig in more with the, the challenges finding housing, but I think we're going to have to do that in a, a separate conversation just because there's so much to unpack here. But I'd love to, to talk to you about that at another time. Uh, Eric, what, what has it been like for you trying to, trying to uh, secure a job that you feel like uh, is, is fulfilling? I commend these guys for uh, having the fortitude uh, to start their own. Uh, It takes dedication and uh, not to become uh, in a very destructive and depressive uh, mindset Mm -hmm. because starting a business for anyone, if you've been incarcerated or not, is very, uh, very stressful. So I'd like to commend these guys uh, wholeheartedly for representing being a productive, uh, formerly incarcerated or returning citizen. For me, I knew what I had to do. Uh, I didn't feel sorry for myself. I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for, for me, my family, and no one, because I made the choice to commit my crime to sell drugs. So I had to be a man and be accountable for that. I told myself, 
I had to become humble regardless of what I had to work or what I had to do to stay out. And so, my, like I said, my first job was working like three days a week at a clothing store, sweeping and cleaning up about $40, $50 a day. And then on, I just became persistent and started asking around, is anybody, anyone hiring? And unfortunately, I had a job I have now, which I, is something that I need, something I don't want, but it's something that I need to do until I, you know, uh, put myself in a better situation as far as starting my own, uh, working the quality uh, control now in the manufacturing department. But I'm humble enough to, you know, to know, you know, um, what I need to do to stay out. I mean, it's not hard. You have to be accountable for yourself and uh, everything is self-induced, whether it's uh, opportunities or you become in a uh, plightful situation. I think sometimes uh, we like to blame others for our downfall. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing. Once you start blaming others for your downfall, there's no room for growth. There's no room for um, recognizing your gift per se. I mean, you become uh, selfish in your uh, in your unhappiness and your distress. And sometimes you become selfish like that. Unfortunately, sometimes you convey it to others also who may want to help you. But, I mean, I never had the attitude. Like I said, when I first got convicted, I had mandatory life without no parole. So the only way I was getting getting out, they were saying it's through it in the casket, honestly. So, But I, people say, how can you be strong through that? I mean, I, had, I, I ain't had no choice. What a choice did I have? Did I have? I to me, I didn't have a choice but to be strong, fortitude, and always had a plan. I always told people what I'm going to do, what I'm going to get out, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get out. So I just kept that. I kept reiterating that. And then that gave me motivation and inspiration to do it. I know what I had to do. So by speaking that into existence, I mean, this gave me – it gave me uh, – more self-esteem, because a lot of people, when they go to prison or whatever, they lose their self-esteem, lose self-respect, they lose dignity, they lose character. I mean, that's what you look at. You look at the number. You don't, People don't treat you, especially officers, they don't treat you with no respect. They don't treat you with no type of dignity, some of them. So just things you have to have for yourself. You have to build your own self-character. So all, when you become accountable, all them things come into place. All them things become into surface, you know. So, that was, I mean, that was my, my remedy yeah. for uh, becoming successful. And, and my, you know, my goals. Great. And, and Carlos, just to dig a bit deeper. So you mentioned that uh, your prison time was in several separate, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, stints. So, uh, and and you actually mentioned to me earlier that uh, the struggle to find gainful employment actually contributed to you kind of losing hope and, and actually uh, ultimately reoffending. So could you just kind of speak to take yourself back to two thousand three or whenever it was, and and what was kind of going through your mind when uh, you kind of gave up on the job search and, and made the, the wrong decision. Uh, you know, I think I, I truly believe it started way before then, though, right? It, it even began before I ever was incarcerated back in 1999 for the first time. Um, I think I had gave up along the way um, after I began to really take uh, a hold of my responsibilities. You know, um, two children by the time I was 24. And so in wanting to provide better for them, um, and, and, and a lot of times I kind of argue with uh, past uh, individuals in regards to my uh, perspective uh, in regards to some of the things that I've done. Because truly in my mind, it was like I really didn't have a choice in the fact that I had to do anything by any means necessary to make sure that they were provided for or that at least they had some of the things that I saw as being equivalent to others. Um, and, and, and the fact was that 
um, there was uh, a relationship that my mother was in, and uh, her ex, he had committed a crime. And uh, basically what he did was he went out to uh, a bank branch, and um, he snatched a money bag from a lady that was about to do a deposit. And he, uh, in, in committing that crime, he had obtained, like, I don't know, it's close to $5,000. Well, up until then, I had pretty much worked jobs. You know, I listened to Eric, and uh, I used to work at a Ford factory out in uh, Rossonville, uh, Belleville, Michigan. Um, and I, I worked as a uh, route supervisor for a uh, maintenance company when I was 23. Yeah, uh, so I had several jobs. But when I saw what had happened with my mother's ex, that was probably more money that I had saw in one time as quick, as little time as possible to gain it. And so it just took my money, my mind in a whole nother level it was like, well, I could have did that and I would have got away with it. Right. And so that's when I started to think that I could do it. Had I not been introduced to that one time, I probably would have never ended up in prison, hmm. you know. Because it was the fact that I could do it and get away with it that I began to get more into. And each time I kind of caught a few cases along the way. You ever thought about this? If it wasn't for your uh, mother's ex, do you think you would become? The, you think you would be the man that you are today? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So probably one of the the, the biggest conversations I've had in the past couple of weeks was the fact that uh, I have a hard time with saying that uh, what I did in those times were wrong. I really do, right? Um, been to prison three times, yeah, eleven and a half, eleven years of my life incarcerated, and had I, I not experienced that, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. And that, to me, is more powerful than saying that I was wrong for the things that I did. You know, it's more impactful for the individuals that I'm able to touch and give opportunities to. Uh, for the people I'm able to show that you can be incarcerated and come out and transform and do so much, so much more with your life. You know, people write us off. They write off so many guys like me, you know, uh, that have been incarcerated, whether, whether it be for a CSC or whether it be for a dope case or whatever the case may be. And yet they don't want to give us an opportunity. You know, it, it's to the point now where we're like these fifth class citizens and we want to and desire an, uh, a, a seat at the table to be able to express that we are so much more and we can do so much more. Right. And speaking to that so much more, um, I feel like spending 11 years in prison and then entering like the traditional professional or entrepreneurial world is a very, you know, marvelous transition. So, like, how did you get access to the resources that were there for you and what like motivated you to control your situation? OK, so probably like I don't know if Eric and uh, Stephen can contest or agree with this, but while I was incarcerated, I kept tooling my mindset as to what I wanted to do when I got out. Mm -hmm. All right. So when I got out the first time, uh, initially, I sat around a lot of uh, Bible studies and I was going to church my first bit. So when I got out, God was going to save me. And when I got out, I had the same skills that I had prior to going to prison. Mm -hmm. So it led me back into the same lifestyle to end up doing the same thing to take me back for a second time for five years. Well, the fifth, the second time I went back, it wasn't sitting around Bible studies and, and going to church all the time. It was in the law library and trying to figure out, you know, what could I do different? Mm -hmm. Because I already knew when I got out what was the challenge. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And so unlike maybe like an Eric or Stephen, who probably are a prefixes, I go back with the B prefix. A prefix is a first time offender incarcerated B prefixes. Second time, C, third, D, fourth, et cetera, et cetera. And now I already know when I get out, I got responsibilities day one. I know that I can't find a job. Right. So what can I do to prepare myself for that? Mm-hmm. So I, be, I began to be uh, uh, take part in like a subculture I like to refer to a prison, which was the sovereign community. You know, th- thinking about uh, being expatriated and, you know, that I'm trying to find a way out of prison outside of going through the court. Yeah. You know, but in learning all those things, though, those were business applications that yet we weren't being told in prison. So when I got out in 2010... And I had all this information in front of me. Uh, I had studied so much about the tax code. I had studied so much about federal trust laws and uh, so many different af- applications when it comes to UCC and, you know, trade laws. And I had all this information that there wasn't anything else for me to do but start a business. Mm. And starting the business, I just didn't have the mentorship that I needed that at that time or the network and the support in order to really uh, grab hold of those ideas and, and that wanted to be a business owner to take it to the next level. And Stephen, was there something specific? You mentioned that uh, you tried traditional employment and, and some other avenues, but you already had your business going. Was there something specific that, that <clears throat> takes you towards the entrepreneurial path? Well, the thing is, once I had, the reason why I had the business in the first place is because I wanted to supplement my income within the household. Uh, at the end of the day, I realized that the four years that I spent was probably the four years I spent in prison in some ways were better than the four years I spent in college simply because it gave me time to be to myself. And with that, I began to reflect back on all the things that happened, all the things that led up to everything. So when I had the business, I managed to just literally mothball the business for a minute I had my friends and my family still maintain all the records and everything they need to be done. Uh, I was still in some ways freelancing, consulting to a certain extent, just phone calls, someone having information about something. I'm giving them information. I'm writing out proposals. I'm doing work. And that's how I received some of my money while I was was incarcerated. Um, While I was there, I was listening to everybody who had business ideas. And one of the biggest misconceptions that I found was that when you come to MDOC, they tell you, Oh, we have all these programs. We have this. We have that. We have access to the library. We have all this stuff. Now, coming from the education background that I have, I have a higher expectation. And I'm getting – I'm looking at books that were written in 1976 about how to start a business. Mm. I'm looking at inmates who have not been introduced to the digital age. And I'm looking at how am I supposed to better myself over this time and be a productive member of society as is designed for me to be through this system. Then you know what based on what they had, um, so when I got out, I felt like I had lost four years of my life to a certain extent because I couldn't progress. But I know I helped others progress in the same manner, and I decided that it was best for me to be an example of what I, because I knew I was going to see people, and I want to be able to say, hey, all the things that I told you about, I'm a reflection of those things. I'm not lying to you, mm-hmm. because a lot of people are deceived. Uh, oh, you can run a business. All you need to do is do this. Well, no, you still need to do it legitimately. You still need to do it correctly. And so if I'm going to the parole office and I'm seeing people, hey, what are you doing now? I'm running my business. What are you doing? 
oh, well, I'm trying to do this or I'm trying. Well, you were trying to do that when you were locked up. Now you have all the opportunity in the world. But I realized that at the end of the day, my mission was no longer about me anymore because now I'm part of this group. Same group I was part of when I was incarcerated is trying to help other people. And so by teaching, because that's one of the things I used to do, was trying to help instruct people in spite of your circumstances. You can still do this because there are a lot of people who went to prison and they became entrepreneurs. Tons of them. There are people who didn't finish college that became entrepreneurs. So everybody had circumstances that, regardless of what those circumstances were, allowed them to still be entrepreneurs and be successful. And so I had to model my behavior after those things. A uh, question for uh, Carlos and Stephen. Carlos, you first. What compels you to give back to others in this way? Because I think I truly understand the struggles that so many of us as returning citizens face. Uh, I, I remember what it was like to go to a Michigan Works or um, a, a, another program that's being supposedly offered to us and not really get what you had came there seeking, right? Um and so sad be the case, I just want to make sure that people who need certain things from, within our community are actually getting, getting everything that they would hope for. So that's what compels me more. I mean, one of the biggest things I can vividly remember, even as I hear uh, Stephen speak, is I had got to a point where I wished that I had some of the guys that sat on the yard for those years training and teaching me. Mm out here with me because they kept me motivated. You know, uh, uh, they were my networks while I was incarcerated. I remember one uh, gentleman, Mr. Ali folks, many years ago when I was 27, first time in, he told me, uh, uh, young man, slow down. You're moving too fast. Hmm. So I carry a lot of that with me now. And when I came home, I didn't have that accountability. You know, um, a lot of people couldn't understand my having been incarcerated. I was the only person in my family. My grandmother raised, had nine children, raised a host of grandchildren. I'm the only one ever been incarcerated. So I didn't come from a, a dope lifestyle or a, a, a drug addicted lifestyle. I didn't. Carlos just did him because whether I was hard headed or whatever the case may have been, I just chose to do me. And it's through those choice now I think that I try to make more opportunities for the guys that are coming after me. Um, I think that when I was incarcerated, I was surprised because during the day, the conversations that I had to listen to all day long, and I felt like while I was there, I didn't have anybody to mentor me because I didn't feel like the only thing, there was nothing that anybody else could teach me other than how to survive in prison. Mm. I didn't walk and carry myself like everybody else did. I didn't speak like everybody else did. I didn't come from a lot of backgrounds. A lot of people did. Um, but as I was a tutor, I began to understand the reasons why a lot of men return back to prison. Is when you're talking to a grown man that's 60 years old, he still can't read, he still can't add. And I realized that maybe in order to be a change agent, this is my opportunity to work with people. And one of the teachers that I work for, she explained to me, you have to teach people where they are and inspire them to just learn a little bit. Not necessarily get the GED, but just get them motivated enough mm-hmm. to what they wanted to do more for self. And so I began to do that. And that's where I got – that's where I earned the respect from a lot of other inmates was because I became the go-to person of 
how do you do this or how do you do that? I literally was having people call me off the yard. I want to help. I want to do my business. I want to do this. How do you handle How do you buy a house? How do you buy a car? How do you finance all these different things? I had done all that. Um, I got hired as an appointment readiness tutor. All right. This was very interesting because what they did was they had this new program. And they were like, well, we're going to uh, teach uh, inmates. We're going to teach basic computer skills. We're going to teach them uh, financial literacy. We're going to teach them um, – there's a financial literacy, uh, life skills, a bunch of things, th- different things, right? And the teacher says, you're the only person I know that has gone through everything and you understand it and you can actually relate to them and you can talk to them. Okay, cool. They wanted to train them with Windows XP. It's like you do realize that the operating system that you're trying to teach inmates is outdated. There was no one I can talk to to complain about. So... I decided to leverage some things, and I made sure in some form of documentation got to Lansing. Well, when that letter came back from Lansing up to the up to the facility, I found myself banished from the facility and sent to the furthest prison that you can possibly put somebody. <laughs> wow. That's <a> th- <laughs> and the reason why I know this is because one of the staff members says, because I got the same job at the new facility. And he says, when you get here, when you start working, don't you say anything about how we do stuff around here. Don't do what you did at the last place. Mm. What did I do? He said, that letter that you wrote got to where it needed to go, and you got sent here for that reason. Wow. And I thought of all that I had done. I had created a self-help. We had <clears> – what was interesting is that within the CSC units, they segregated everybody. If you had a CSC, no matter if you had a history of it or you were actively convicted for it, they put you in a, in a, in a group, and they want you to take self-help groups. Because they want you to, like you were the, the only person that had issues, not the person who had, you know, a series of, of crimes or people with every, every new crime that you commit, you get a different prefix. There's a guy there with a Q prefix. I'm going, you came to prison how many times? But he was okay. So when I went to the self-help groups, I asked him, I says, why don't you offer the self-help groups to everybody else? Because the rest of the inmate population is looking at us like we're special. We already looking at us like we're lepers, but... They're looking at how come we don't have access. So I put together a plan that everybody got the same thing because it's all cognitive behavior therapy, mm. regardless of what crime you commit. And we financed it. We had it. We were the pilot program at the facility, and they spread it through everything else. So I was trying to make an active change while I could because that's all I knew because at the end of the day, everybody was going to me, everybody was going to return home. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be part of the same group of people. And so if I had a chance to impact them, I was going to impact them while we were there. So eventually when they came home, it was like, hey, how you doing? So when I see people at Wayne County Community College where I still going to get another degree and I see guys, hey, I remember you told me about getting a house. I'm working on that right now. Or I'm working to get in the car. Or I don't like their whole rent-to-own cycle. Or I remember what you taught me about this. That makes me feel good. Or the guy who got his GED that's now going to community college where he didn't think he could. That motivates me because I realized that this is the change that I was looking for. Not how many cars I was designing and who was buying them. But right. this is the real change. For sure. And it sounds like you guys both display like a proactive kind of strong personality, which has obviously served you differently out here than in there. Um, so if you could just share with us about how you're thinking about personal branding right now, because that's a big thing everywhere, but especially for entrepreneurs. So um, I'm wondering how you think about your personal brand and also how your criminal background fits into it. 
Oh, let me take that first, please. <laughs> please. All right, so I am literally a digital marketing, right? Uh, being in digital marketing, uh, it doesn't lend itself to potentially some of the clients I come into contact knowing that I am a returning citizen. Most of them don't even know what a returning citizen is, right? So um, I've already been called out uh, by uh, a couple of clients that I had because once they found out, there was a question, mm-hmm. right? And it took me all the way back to those days when I submitted applications and resumes. You know, the boss wants to call you into the office to find out why didn't you disclose this in the initial interview? Well, as I state to them, uh, I never sent either of the two, a resume or an application. You came to me, right? Mm-hmm. So if you would like to continue the business relation, then let's fine. Let's do that. And each time... It was Carlos, come on. Yeah, of course. I just wanted more information. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's one of the biggest uh, 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 things for our community, I think, that would serve us better is the fact that entrepreneurship allows you not to be called into the, the boss's office to be either hired or fired. Mm-hmm. You know, you're creating your own opportunities. And being a digital marketer, um, you know, one of the things that I first learned as I was going through all this process of my life was that I always observed and found opportunities. I don't care if it was to do something wrong. You know, I always say that there's a time no matter what you do, you're going to get away with it. But then there's that time no matter what you do, you're going to get caught. And so in, in, in looking at it like that, um, I, I sat and, and coming home, especially in 2010, when I had missed the whole MySpace thing. And now Facebook is really starting to get going. And um, I have these uh, knowledge in regards to uh, business applications, but I really don't know how to apply them. And so I have to start up something that was uh, a self-publishing agency because while I was incarcerated, I had did all this writing, you know, during my time, like so many of us do. You know, even inside, we're starting to develop these skills and these talents. We just don't know how when we get out to actually make them transferable. Mm -hmm. Right. You have the guy that's the uh, leather maker. You have the guy that does all the portraits, you know, but once they're outside, they don't really know how to allow those skills to make uh, the income that they need in order to be stable. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I learned that. Because we are in a digital age now, and one of the biggest things I pass on to guys of my community is that you got to grab hold of your digital footprint. So one of the first things that we should do, we should Google ourselves, period. So once I Google Carlos L. Harris, I saw all that information from MDOC and all those cases I had been filing because I filed because I learned how to file uh, federal complaints in regards to my stay while incarcerated. And so in filing that information, it became public information. Mm. You know, so anybody has knowledge of that. Well, when I go in and I and I submit a proposal to do a job and the, if they uh, uh, were to Google me, the first thing they see it's Carlos was incarcerated. So I began to come up with different strategies in order to push more of that information down into the search engines. And in doing that, I began to create the person that you see sitting here today. And that's probably one of the biggest tools that I find that in this age that people of my community can utilize to their benefit. You know, um, no matter uh, uh, what my past has been, 
the more and more good that I do, the more and more I walk in my integrity and the information I'm making sure that's online in regards to me, it helps me more so than anything when it comes to personal branding. Your thoughts on that, Stephen? Um, I think that one of the things that I found was that, and I'm speaking speakly of those individuals with CSC cases, there is it's probably one of the most shameful types of cases to have. And with that, it literally causes a person to almost go underground and just to fall off the face of the earth. Um, there are times that I don't even want to think about circumstances, situations that got me in the circumstance situation I was in. So I don't necessarily put myself out there so much, but I, like I told my students, I've never been to place where I had to find work because once I started my business and I had a couple of key clients, they knew me, they had known me for a long time, weren't happy about what I did, but they knew, they knew still who I was and work starts coming in and starts coming in. So I don't have to advertise. I don't have to seek it. It falls in my lap, which is good for me. Um, one of the things that I found, though, is that trying to get past that, I had to realize that, you know, from a personal standpoint, I realized I was broken and I had to work on self first. So I literally had to remove myself. So the reinvention of self was really going back and just fixing what was broken and making it, you know, making it whole, making it new. And realizing that there are people who would sit there and they question stuff, and it's like, well, this is where I'm at. So if anything, I wanted to be a testimony, okay? Because I think it being a testimony, because there are a lot of people who are walking around that are broken. They haven't committed crimes. They're just broken. Mm -hmm. And when you sit down, you talk to a person, and they say, well, what happened? When it comes up, because at the end of the day, what I did has nothing to do with how I do my business. So it's like, okay, well, you committed this crime. Well, how is that relevant to your business? Is it, is it, is it, you know, if you need a logo, how is that part of your business? How is that, how's what I did part of your business? It's not. Um, I found if I carry myself a certain way, I'm least likely to be suspected to do anything. Oh, you're such a nice guy. You're this, you're that. Okay, cool. We're not gonna, we're not gonna have this conversation. It's not, it's not warranted. It's not necessary. If you wanna have it, we'll have it. I had a situation with uh, my landlord. He pulls me in the office and says, hey, uh, you tell me what you did. I looked you up. Well, this is what this was. Any questions? No, not just. I just want to know. Okay, you still gonna let me stay here, right? Oh yeah, I paid my rent on time, right? Yeah, I've never been late. No, I got the deposit. I got everything in place. Yeah, okay. He said, I just, I just had to know. Okay, and that was it. But some people want to hide and they want to duck and they want to, they want to go behind. I says, well, you got people that are free that are doing that. So, in some ways, I don't think of myself as being any better than anybody else. It's the circumstances. I, I remember uh, literally back January of this year, uh, I kind of made a declaration to myself that I was going to start speaking more candidly about my having been incarcerated, mm -hmm. right? Um, because I had, for a while, attempted to keep it under wraps. Because I wanted to move my life in a different trajectory. And in order, in my mind, in order for me to get there, some of this didn't need to be disclosed. And so um, 
I, if you even go back through some of my social media history, you know, even a year ago, you wouldn't find me talking anything about my having been incarcerated, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even having these type of conversations because the rooms that I sat in, you know, as I was developing my business did not lend themselves to that. And so now um, I just take for granted that everybody knows, you know, when I'm sitting around the table that this is what it is. And uh, I'm here surely because they know that I can perform the task, not because I was incarcerated or not because of uh, any other thing outside of the fact of my skills and abilities. So that's probably one of the greatest things that I recognized about Stephen, right? Phenomenal when it comes to graphic design. And uh, outside of the fact of having a, a CSC, uh, it just lends itself to being probably one of the, the best uh, businesses for an entrepreneur or, or a returning citizen to get into. Um, you know, I don't understand. I mean, I don't think that the community truly understands the, the challenges that one, first of all, as a returning citizen face, but then as a either having a CSC and sometimes even murder they face. Um, you know, um, even with trying to get education, you know, just because people are able to look you up, it causes more of a problem. One of the easiest things for me is it started when I was incarcerated. I didn't care what you were here for. We all have on blue and orange. And so I kind of brought that mentality to the street with me. You know, it, it doesn't matter what you were incarcerated for. The fact of the matter is... I don't like to see us being discriminated against from the least of us to the greatest. We all want an equal opportunity. You know, I I continue to try to remind people that the 14th Amendment affords us equal protection under the law. So it doesn't matter if you were incarcerated for whatever. It doesn't matter if you're white, if you're black, if you're homosexual. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that I deserve an equal foothold and an opportunity. And that's what I'm hoping that each of us have as time progresses. So it sounds like specifically grabbing hold of your digital footprint, uh, Carlos, like what you mentioned, and also just like learning how to like own your past so that you can have that conversation and move on. Uh, sound like some of the suggestions you guys are giving here. I have another question. So this is something I've heard come up talking to other folks. This concept that a lot of people that end up going to prison are locked up arguably for taking situations into their own hands and trying to make money. I mean, it's uh, a lot of crimes by nature uh, of what they are inherently lend themselves to people with kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I think Eric and I have have talked about that a little bit. I'm curious to know what you guys think about that. And then more broadly speaking, what type of a person makes a good entrepreneur? Hustler. (laughs) One of the things that really impressed me, you know, being incarcerated, because I remember the first day I sat there on the bunk. Now, the facility I was at was an interesting mix of people because they had level two and level one people, which by their by their own standards, they cannot mix level one and level two people together. Level one is a minimum security. Uh, level two is medium security. Unfortunately, that was in level four, so that's considered max. And I had to do a certain amount of years before I reached level two because I had, because of my sense, which was life without no parole. So I've been living in Sydney in a cubicle with somebody doing double life and people who are on parole for parole violations who are just doing short time. And there's always a little bit of tension there just because you're talking to somebody who gets to go home versus somebody who's never going home again. 
But one of the things I noticed was that these guys hustled. They had their own businesses. They were cleaning shoes. They were doing laundry. They were selling shots of coffee. They ran a store at a high, rate of high interest. They were doing all <laughs> these different things. Two for one. And I'm like, wow, you guys are really, especially for me, because I didn't come from necessarily the street per se. But I was just impressed by Man, this is this is awesome what you guys are doing. How can you take this to another level? So the card guy, man, you know, I wish I had some more paper. Well, if you take this money here and you spend some of it here and you invest it over here, you can get more product. And I'm literally teaching to take the small little hustle that you got and how you can really, really, really encourage it. I had the store guy upset with me because I tried to run a little store just to see how I would like it. And I had one particular guy who would always pay on time. So I did what most credit systems would do. If a person pays their bill on time over a period of time, you would reduce the interest rate. So instead of one and a half, it was one and a third. The store guy got upset. Hey, man, you're taking my customers away. What are you talking about? He said, well, you're charging my lower interest rate. Like, hey, man, it's competitive business. This is I'm taking your people away, but they're, they're, they're paying their bills. This is what Citibank would do if you, you know, but this is a business. This is all it is. So when I see things like that, and I'm going, you guys have the opportunity to make it out here in the street, but what is it you want it fast? But it's in relative terms because you got guys who they want to come out in the street and they want to make real money. So they say, this is, but you didn't have a problem when you were making 83 cents a day, you know, sweeping floors or working in the kitchen. As a tutor with a degree, I was like the highest paid person on the compound. So, in my mind, I represented the same percentage of person that I was when I was out in the world. I was in, like, the top 10% of wage earners. I was top 10% of wage earners in prison, too. That's all I knew. But, again, that's trying to teach. Education does afford you opportunity to make more money. But regardless of what you're doing, if you're cleaning the floors, if you're doing laundry, whatever, you have a transferable skill. You just have to frame it in your mind a little bit differently, and you can take that same skill set. And you can plug it in when you get in the street as long as it's legal. You got that st- you got that same drive. You got guys who, if they're charging you $40, $50 for a pair of shoes, don't tell them you can't save up the money for three months to buy something that you want because you did it in prison. What's the difference? So it's, it still works. So I buy into the whole uh, rationale of uh, entrepreneurship is hustlers in disguise mm-hmm. for the mere fact that um, – one of the things that I recognize many, many years about myself, it's a couple things in life I like to say I hate, right? One, I hate middlemen. I hate middlemen. And I hate bosses. I hate them, right? And I, I think I just de- developed this over the years. And in developing that attitude, I had to find a way to begin to earn wages for myself. I had to. And whether it was because uh, I started to develop certain skills and I recognized that I could possibly uh, make wages from that or the mere fact that I was being trained throughout the years to be able to pass that on to someone else, I understand that now. Um, Many individuals who uh, truly see themselves as their own bosses, they can't connect with anyone because nobody is – Nobody is necessarily telling them about entrepreneurship or the fact 
that it's easy to set up a business, whether it be an LLC, nonprofit, or whatever, right? Uh, it's easy to walk into a bank and open that bank account for that business and begin to get clients that are willing to pay you for any service or product that you have. It's easy, but yet, you know, you have so many different programs that are, you know, uh, 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 charging people to, to begin business planning or financial uh, advisement. And, and it just makes people sit back who don't know as looking at, at, at it as it's this big overwhelming task. And it's not right. Mm-hmm. Um, I So a couple weeks ago, I was uh, at uh, <laughs> Grandview Plaza in Lansing. And for those who've been incarcerated, they know exactly that that's MDOC. Right. So I was at um, MDOC and the, the conversation came up about more programs. And I am the proponent who says that to hell with another program. I don't want or need another program. I just need opportunity. And so my suggestion was that they would begin to implement more entrepreneurial programming. Because sad be the case, a lot of guys who get out, irregardless of what uh, the crime may have been, will not find employment. I'm sorry. I work in an environment now to where we are training individuals who have uh, uh, a conviction, a past history. And even though they have training and you have so many people that have signed on in companies stating that they will hire returning citizens, that's not the case. So with that being understood and we're looking at the, the numbers, then it just lends itself to say that, well, maybe we should teach these guys to be entrepreneurs because they can find more opportunity for themselves than we're going to be able to afford them right now. Yeah, time is showing that more of society is coming around, more of the community are finally saying that, okay, we kind of welcome the conversation, so what? You know, but I take it back to the days of abolitionists, you know, when they wanted to make uh, set the slaves free. Well, those conversations were beginning to open, but it still took a progression whether it be through the legislative agendas or whether it just simply be more of the community becoming aware of the strikes and the ills that we're going through before everyone gets on board with actually affording the opportunity to the returning citizen who potentially needs that that job, so to speak. A uh, question for Carlos and Stephen. Uh, Stephen first, what is it like being self-employed? I love it. <laughs> I love the fact that I can get up when I want to. I love the fact that I can choose whether or not to get dressed or not. Uh, <laughs> I make my own hours. I get to do what I want to do. Um, like I said, I spent 20 years in the automotive industry. I mean, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. But I think over a period of time, it, it got to me <laughs> because the, the higher up that you go, sometimes the less control that you have over just common sense stuff, mm. the, the, the bureaucracy that goes on. Um, and that's one of the things that, as Carlos said, he doesn't like bosses. He doesn't like middlemen. I can't stand bureaucracy. <laughs> and to me, bureaucracy represents the middleman. Um, one of the things that I try to teach in my own class, in graphic design class at DSDT, is entrepreneurship portion. And because everyone comes in looking for a job, he says, well, did you ever consider what it's like to work for yourself? Because you may run into these challenges. And it's easy to do this. I've done it. And I don't necessarily go and tell everybody what my past is. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I can tell them that I'm currently working, I'm currently employed, and that once I leave them, I still have a gang of work that I have to finish. 
And I told him, I'm not living this lavish lifestyle. I'm not, I'm not balling out of control. But what I am saying is I'm free. Mm. I'm free in all sense of the word, free. Free mentally, spiritually, financially. I'm free. And that freedom, you can't, it's, it's, it's the most, it almost makes me, brings me to tears someday that I can, we're sitting there, man, I don't have to do, I can just, I have choice. My best friend told me at, 20, at 25 years old, he had paid off all his student loans, he had paid off everything. He says, I don't need to buy anything. He says, I can afford to make choices. And I didn't understand what that meant at 25 years old to him. He's still in the same boat at 47, he's still in the same place. He doesn't owe anybody anything. And I tell, tell my class, the fact that you can afford, the richest man is a man that can afford to make choices. You want to choose, you can choose to go out and purchase Mercedes if you want to. You can choose to live where you want to. You can choose to do these things because I was in a position where I didn't have a choice. When I say I didn't have a choice, it, they were limited mm-hmm. extremely. And if I wanted to have a choice, it's, it typically it broke a rule in order to have the choice. So, um. So what does being self-employed afford me? Um, there's and can you touch on challenges too? Just while the challenges of being a, I'm, just, I, believe, I'm, I am. I am because <laughs> literally that was about to roll off my tongue. Right. right? <laughs> because I have a, a saying, another saying right here. <laughs> um, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. Right? A lot of uh, individuals, whether they've been incarcerated or not, you know, there's a big uh, community now here in Detroit now because of the resurgence uh, of individuals that have began these entrepreneur endeavors. And surely they didn't foresee of how difficult it would be to actually be a business owner. Right. Um, have you ever thought about there may come a time when you have to walk into a room and tell 17 people that you can't pay them this week? I have. Right. Um, Have you ever thought about the fact that your phone would be ringing at maybe three o'clock Sunday morning when you're still trying to sleep because of someone who has to do whatever the case may be? There is a never ending cycle for the business owner. So if that's something that you want to sign up for. If you truly are that hustler that you were, whether it was street life or whatever the case may be, then maybe that's for you. But I can tell you myself, sometimes I'm literally like I'm so overwhelmed because even when I was hustling, (laughs) I like to think it was not as time consuming as running this business is. There's so many things that I have to know. Uh, whether it be in regards to my taxes having to be filed, whether it has to be uh, I'm trying to sign up for certain grants that are becoming available. So that's more information that I need to know about. Uh, There's about getting the right individuals on our team, because unfortunately, some people just don't fit into the community. So I've had to fire some. Right. So um, this lifestyle is one that is very rewarding because and when I say that, I think back to when. I made a lot of money doing illegal things, but at the same time, I never could have my name on certain assets that I owned because the money was illegal. So there were, it would be in my mother's or a sister or someone else's name. And truly, as now uh, uh, being a business owner, it affords, it affords me the ability to walk into uh, my bank and, and put a certain amount of money in there and no questions asked. 
it affords me to be able to have a vehicle with my name on the title and the insurance in my name and, you know, my name to be on the lease of the apartment that I live in. There's so many things that come along that are positive with being a business owner, but it's just those few nuances that every every individual should be aware of. Being a business owner is a lot of work just doing it. And don't begin to bring in employees. That just takes on a whole nother burden with... I show up and I mean, from the time I walk through the door, I'm listening to somebody's problem because they thought that that problem they had was something to share with me. And it just becomes so much, you know, you're just constantly being dumped on. But that comes along with trying to get the business to the next level as I foresee it. Great. And so uh, just in the interest of time, we, we could do this all day. I really appreciate all these insights, guys, for real. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to touch on what types of resources are available for folks that might want to take this path in terms of how you would go about starting your own business, whether that's seeking mentorship or otherwise. Some programs that we're aware of, there's a program called SCORE in Detroit. And again, all these links will be in, uh, in the description on the website. Uh, SCORE. Uh, program Luck Inc., which does mentorship. Uh, they have a new partnership with Cornbread Hustle, Chance for Life. We believe that Goodwill Flip the Script has uh, some resources geared towards entrepreneurship now uh, with a new program that they're rolling out. And then something else just to point out is the value of networking, just networking your ass off. Uh, this is something that we frequently touch on uh, on the podcast, whether you're looking for a job or whether you're looking to start a business. Everything comes back to a personal network. Bamboo Detroit does regular uh, networking events for entrepreneurs. The Build Institute does uh, both networking as well as training for entrepreneurs. The Green Garage, these are all resources in Detroit. And another one that comes to mind is Eric Thomas via Saga Marketing. Uh, Every Friday they do steak dinners to bring the community together. I was curious if you guys have any other resources that come to mind. DSDT, uh, Detroit School for Digital Technology. That's a shameless plug. Um, (laughs) If you really are a returning citizen and you are looking to get in, uh, uh, into a community of like-minded individuals who know exactly what you've been through, what you're trying to achieve, then DSDT, that's 1759 West 21st Street in Southwest Detroit. Um, I think that, you know, uh, uh, many of the names that you just read in that list, we've had some dealings with to some degree. And it more or less allows us to be able to uh, build the community that we have for individuals who are coming home or who are, in fact, returning citizens that have been to some of those programs and they may not have gotten what they were actually seeking. Entrepreneurship, yeah, it's being taught to uh, a lot of the community, but unfortunately, there's obstacles that we as returning citizens face that those programs don't necessarily lend themselves to what we're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, SBA, okay, so score programming. Uh, well, if I'm a, a, a parolee, then I can't go necessarily to score in order to receive uh, government funding to begin my business. Um, and now, and I, knew, I do know, and I was just in communications with a, a program, a Lifeline Business Consulting Firm, and Miss um, uh, Nicole Farmer was telling me over there that they just received uh, grant dollars, I think it's from J.P. Morgan, to where they actually are going to begin to uh, take individuals who are returning citizens and offer them an opportunity to begin businesses and receive loans at a, a discounted uh, uh, requirement because, you know, of the fact that their credit scores may not be uh, – 
uh, uh, the highest that they would like. Uh, just because of some of the, the the nuances that returning citizens face, so they are beginning to address that. Now oh, that's pretty much what I was going to say. <laughs> <clears throat> for sure. Well, thank you guys for spending time with us and sharing this insight. I feel like anybody can benefit from what we learned today from you all. So thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you guys. Thank, thank you for having you. us. Thank you. I appreciate it.